0: and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces. Plus 24 seven customer support. His venue never misses a beat call quitgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. What's up, and welcome to another history edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, the Jeter 5. We're brought to you by our partners, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports you can bet on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in their $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, which is a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls, Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE Receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. If you couldn't tell from the title, this episode is about the 1992 MLB draft, aka the Derek Jeter draft. And a quick shout out to listener Andrew Campbell, who suggested this topic after seeing that two teams passed on Michael Jordan in the NBA draft. He wanted to know what was up with the five teams that passed on Derek Jeter in the baseball draft. As the legend goes, on a conference call before the 1992 draft with 30 or 40 Yankees officials, Dick Graw, the scout who found Jeter, famously said this when others expressed concern that Jeter would not sign and go to college instead. He's not going to the University of Michigan. The only place Derek Jeter is going is Cooperstown. That sounds like folklore, and even if Graw didn't say those exact words, he no doubt identified Jeter as a future star. The summary he wrote on a draft report dated April 8th, 1992 said, A Yankee, a five tool player, will be a ML Major League star, plus five! Exclamation point, exclamation point. I'm pretty sure the plus five refers to Jeter's five tools as being at least a plus grade, which is a 60 on the 20 to 80 scale. The baseball draft is the biggest crapshoot out of all the major sports. Not going to go too deep into why, it's just obvious when you realize that it's the longest lead time between when you actually select a player and when he is on your team in the major leagues, other sports, football, basketball, and, and hockey. You can go straight from the draft to that major league team, that big league team. That's not the case with baseball. So there's a ton of variables that can happen along the way. And under the current CBA, there are 40 rounds plus supplemental and compensation picks. That means over a thousand players are selected each year. A 2017 study published by the Baseball Research Journal found that about 66% of players drafted and signed in the first round make the major leagues, and 47% play three or more years. Those percentages are actually higher than I would have guessed. Maybe that's because my perception is skewed because the Yankees have drafted pretty terribly over the past 25 years, so they're not hitting on a 66% level. Obviously, there's a fall-off dramatically as you go into the deeper rounds, But two-thirds of a first-round pick appearing in the majors is, you know, it's not a sure thing, but it's not bad. Scouting, though, is where the magic happens. Teams select the players their scouts approve of. I read something that said, Scouting is the art of confidence. What do you see? What can you project? And most importantly, how sure are you? Scouts have to sell the players they've identified to the people in charge. They have to sell hard. Doug Melvin, who used to be a scouting director with the Yankees, said, you've got to be convincing with your reporting on the player and your selling of the player. Maybe a scout in one of the other cities, Houston or whatever, that like Jeter wasn't convincing enough or didn't evaluate him properly. He's talking about the five teams that drafted before the Yankees in 1992. One of those scouts, Hal Newhouser, famously quit after the Astros took Phil Nevin number one overall instead of Jeter. So I guess Newhouser didn't sell hard enough. Knowing what is actually behind scouting and the whole drafting process makes it seem pretty lucky that the Yankees ended up with Derek Jeter. Dick Graw, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly. It's spelt G-R-O-C-H, and I looked up pronunciation, and Graw is the best I'm going to do, so bear with me. He's a veteran scout who now works for the Brewers as a special assistant to the general manager. But back in the early 90s, he was the Yankee scout assigned to the Midwest region. He was first sold on Jeter's talent at an all-star camp held at Western Michigan University in 1991. After he saw Jeter dominate there, he started to follow him, but not in the typical scout follows a player kind of way. Grau wanted to watch Jeter from afar. Oftentimes he'd watch from his car in the parking lot, and he said on a few occasions he would hide in the bushes and watch him that way. The reason he did this is because he did not want to alert Jeter of his presence. This way he could see him fail and see how he interacted with his teammates when he didn't think there was a scout around. Really he just wanted to watch Jeter in his natural element. Other times, it's obvious when a scout is there to watch a player, and it's a big deal. It's not only a big deal for the player being watched, it's kind of a big deal for the entire team. Jeter recalled, I knew who he was, knew that he was the scout for the Yankees because I played with a guy on a summer team that was drafted by the Yankees, but hadn't signed. So he was following him around, but he left me alone. I never had a conversation with him. And when Grah called Jeter to say the Yankees had drafted him, Jeter said, I didn't think you liked me. I didn't see you that much. Scouts sometimes build a relationship with the player and the family pre-draft to build up some equity when it comes time for the signing bonus negotiations. That wasn't Gra's style, but he and Jeter still had a great relationship after he was signed, which ended up being for $800,000, including a $50,000 equipment donation and athletic equipment to Jeter's high school, summer leagues, and rec programs. Gras said later that other 18-year-olds in that spot ask for a new Mercedes or something. So that tells you a lot that we really already knew about Jeter even as an 18-year-old. Jeter would sometimes call Graf for advice and reassurance when he was struggling in the minors. Jeter got off to a really bad start in rookie ball. He hit 202 in the Gulf Coast League and was benched on the final day of the season, so his batting average didn't dip below the Mendoza line. Then the next year, in 1993, he set a record by making 56 errors in A-ball. This clip is from a 1993 spring training interview where Jeter is reflecting on his first year in pro ball. I hated
0: last year. Last year was was terrible for me. Uh, rookie league was was terrible. I was homesick. I didn't. I wasn't playing good. I was. It was just as bad as it could get but this year it's a different story Derek was invited to the Yankees big league camp and now he's back in fantasy land rubbing elbows with players he used to idolize it's weird to see him on you know TV and then now I'm here with all of them especially like Don Mattingly and Wade Boggs and Spike Owen and all these guys they're, they're right there with me they also like to write him about his age Derek signed with the Yankees one day after his 18th birthday People are like, Phew. and I was talking to Guy Eagle a while ago, and he asked how old I was.
1: And he said, do you have a girlfriend? I said, yeah. He said, because he has a daughter my age. So it's, <laughs> it's a little, little odd being the youngest one here, but it's fun. Believe it or not, things got better for Derek Jeter from there. Grok and Jeter remained close, and he was involved in some of the celebrations around Jeter's 3,000th hit, his farewell tour, some of the other things that happened towards the end of his career. Like I said at the start, Dick was confident Jeter was heading for Cooperstown, even if some of that confidence was a hard sell to the Yankees. Here's some more from the scouting report that he wrote. The abilities section is mostly focused on Jeter's throwing, his range, and speed on the base paths, but it did say that he shows power potential and has a quick bat. The weaknesses section says he's an anxious hitter who needs to learn to be more patient at the plate. Swing slightly long. Overall, he gave Jeter's future potential a 64 out of 80 meaning that he expected Jeter to fall somewhere between a star on his own team and a perennial all-star player in the league. Talking about Gras, Cashman said, Dick has got strong opinions. When he sees something he likes, he's going to make sure you know it. He's not afraid to express that. That's a compliment. A lot of people don't have that conviction necessary to do that job. It was really important that he had the conviction because it took some convincing and trusting Gras for the Yankees to draft the 18-year-old Jeter. It was especially difficult because Steinbrenner did not love the idea of drafting high school players, even though the Yankees took high schoolers in the first round every year from 1990 to 1993, but there was also an issue that it was not guaranteed that Jeter would sign. Derek Jeter turning into a Hall of Famer who led the Yankees to five championships made it so people know who Dick Graw is. Part of that is luck that five teams didn't take Jeter. If the Astros took Jeter and he led them to championships... Everyone would call Hal Neuhauser a genius, and nobody would know that Dick Graw identified the shortstop from Kalamazoo and the Yankees would have taken him at number 6. Or what if the Yankees took Jim Pitsley, a pitcher they were also eyeing at number 6 overall? He ended up being drafted by the Royals 17th and had a 6.02 ERA and was out of the league by 1999. What if the scout who favored Pitsley won the internal battle over Grok? It can turn on a dime. Jeter is Grok's trump card now but the reality is he was already a successful scout and well-respected before that. Over his decades-long career, Grok saw 16 players he signed reach the majors. In 1986 alone, he signed three players, two of which reached the majors, Hal Morris and Scott Kamenicki, and the other was Casey Close. Close never made the majors, but he did turn into one of the biggest agents in the sport and represented Jeter throughout his career. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. Grok said he saw every game Joey Votto played for a year leading up to the 2002 draft, but nobody knows that because the Reds took him instead. It's really amazing how things could have turned out if one or two things broke in a different way. But luckily for the Yankees, they were in a position to be picking 6th overall, and Jeter was still on the board. The Yankees were rebuilding in the early 90s, and it was because they were rebuilding that they had a 71-91 record in 1991, giving them the number 6 pick in the 92 draft. In 1990, the Yankees picked 10th and took Carl Everett. Yes, that Carl Everett. Everett was lost to the Marlins in the 92 expansion draft. That year though, Chipper Jones went number one overall to Atlanta. In 1991, the Yankees picked first. They drafted Brian Taylor, who some scouts said was the best pitching prospect they ever saw. Taylor ended up being a colossal bust, but it wasn't for lack of talent. His first couple seasons were actually pretty good in the minors, but then he suffered a severe arm injury when defending his brother in a bar fight, and he was never the same. Taylor never made it to the majors, but he was minor league roommates with the 1992 Yankees first overall pick, Derek Jeter. I mentioned the 90 and 91 drafts because that was when big money signing bonuses for the top picks started to come into play. Chipper got $1.2 million from the Braves, and Taylor got $1.55 million from the Yankees. Top players in the 92 draft were eyeing million-dollar bonuses as well, which is part of the reason why Jeter fell. Pre-draft, Jeter and Jeffrey Hammonds, an outfielder from Stanford University, wanted the biggest bonuses. The kicker was, though, that Jeter was not a guaranteed to sign. The draft order was Houston, Cleveland, Montreal, Baltimore, Cincinnati, and then the Yankees. Those teams I mentioned, especially the Astros, Indians, and Expos, were scared off by the bonus demands of Jeter and Hammonds, which weighed heavily in their selections. Houston went first and drafted third baseman Phil Nevin out of Cal State Fullerton. Nevin was named the 1992 College World Series Most Outstanding Player and was close to Major League Ready entering the draft, which was a big reason why Houston took him. But the main reason? He didn't demand a signing bonus close to the previous year's top picks. He ended up signing for $700,000. Cleveland then took pitcher Paul Shuey from the University of North Carolina, who they projected as a top reliever. Montreal identified Hammonds as their guy, but they couldn't afford him. They drafted B.J. Wallace from Mississippi State instead. Baltimore wound up with Hammonds. This is where things could have been a whole lot different in the American League East for the Yankees and the Orioles, because Hammonds actually ended up signing the largest bonus of the draft. He signed for $975,000. So the Orioles were willing to pony up the cash to sign their top pick. They just identified the wrong guy and they also probably feared Jeter would go to college. It's a very big sliding doors moment right there. Cincinnati took outfielder Chad Motola from the University of Central Florida at number five. Motola ended up signing for half of what Jeter got. So the five picks went by, and Jeter's name wasn't called.
0: What it was like being drafted for me was, uh, you know, it's a little bit different because, you know, now the draft is on television and when I was drafted, it's sitting around waiting for a phone call. Uh, you had friends and family calling you and tying up the lines. We had no call waiting. You know, this is, you know, it's either you get through or it's busy. So uh, you're waiting for a phone call. And I was supposed to be drafted, I think, either first or fifth. I had no idea the Yankees even drafted sixth. And, and you know, I'd heard that the first five picks were announced. So I was pretty disappointed until I got that call from the Yankees saying that they had drafted me.
1: Jeter was the first high schooler taken in that year's draft. He was the 1992 high school player of the year, hit over 500 his junior and senior years, and struck out only once in his senior year. The five players picked ahead of Jeter played a total of 2,701 games in the major leagues. Jeter alone played 2,747. Nevin was an okay player. He made an all-star team and collected over 1,000 major league hits in 12 seasons, and he's now the third base coach for the Yankees. Shui also had a decent career. He pitched 476 games over 11 seasons as a reliever. Wallace never made it to the majors and was out of baseball by 1997. In 2011, he and his wife were arrested for cooking meth. So he took a little bit of a different route in life. Hammonds played the most years in the majors among the Jeter Five. Over 13 seasons, he hit 272. He finished sixth in the Rookie of the Year voting in 1994 and made the NL All-Star team in 2000 for Colorado but looking at his stats, he definitely got the course Field bump, or maybe a bump from something else. The Orioles were constantly reminded of their mistake throughout the 90s as they had to watch Jeter torture them and Hammonds be just a middling outfielder who they wound up trading in 1998. Motola bounced around to four different teams and appeared in just 59 big league games, and he's now a coach for the Rays. The Astros probably get the most flack for not picking Jeter number one overall, And part of that is because Neuhauser quit, and that's a very famous and funny story. But I think Baltimore might have to look in the mirror and say they made the biggest mistake because they ended up paying the highest signing bonus in the draft, and they just identified the wrong guy, and they had to watch Jeter torment them for 20 years. That has to hurt. In case you were wondering, the 92 draft also featured some other Yankees legends, Johnny Damon, Jason Giambi, Raul Abanez, and Mike DeGene. Who is Mike DeGene? He's the guy the Yankees drafted in the 24th round and ended up trading to Colorado for Joe Girardi. There have been 27 drafts since 1992, and for the Yankees, they have not been nearly as notable as selecting Jeter. The rest of the 90s saw the Yankees take nine players in the first and supplemental first rounds. They got a total of 12 innings pitched at the Major League level out of it. Although two of those picks, Brian Buchanan and Eric Milton, were traded to Minnesota along with Christian Guzman, For Chuck Knobloch. Two of the picks, Tyrell Godwin and Mark Pryor, didn't sign. Their 1999 top pick, David Walling, left baseball after developing a compulsion to throw repeatedly to first base when a runner was on. He saw a sports psychologist for it and was unable to rid the problem. The 2000s were even worse. They had one pick that I think you can call a success. That was Phil Hughes, 23rd overall in 2004. The 2010s have produced Aaron Judge from the first round. That's great. He was drafted 32 overall in 2013, but he wasn't even their first selection that year. That would be Eric Jogelio. Year after year of first round picks have gone to the wayside. David Parrish, John Ford Griffith, C.J. Henry, Cito Culver, Ty Hensley. Stop me if you've heard any of these names. Hey look, they drafted Garrett Cole in 2008. And as a shock to nobody, he did not sign. It's fair to note that the Yankees are drafting at the bottom of the first round every year, if at all, because they also have lost a ton of picks because they spend big in free agency. That comes with the territory of winning and spending, so I get it. It's not fair to compare them to, say, the Tampa Rays, who year after year were drafting top five. But since drafting Jeter, the Yankees have had just eight players make the majors who they've drafted in the first or supplemental rounds Hughes and Judge. Ryan Bradley from the 97 draft, he's the guy who pitched 12 innings, plus Jabba Chamberlain, Ian Kennedy, Bronson Sardinia, Andrew Brackman, and Slade Heathcott. It's just not very good. Jeter is, without a doubt, the most significant draft pick in franchise history. He, along with the Core Four or Fab Five or whatever you want to refer to it as, turned the Yankees into a perennial contender that is not satisfied with a 70-win season netting a top draft pick. Tanking and rebuilding are no longer in the Yankees' vocabulary. 92 is significant for another reason. It's the last time the Yankees had a losing record. Since then, for 27 straight seasons, they finished 500 or better. Once Jeter debuted in 95, the team went on an unprecedented modern-day playoff run. They won five championships, and Jeter supplanted his name along with Ruth, Gehrig, DiMaggio Mantle, Munson, and all the other Yankees legends. Jeter holds franchise records for games played, at-bats, plate appearances, hits, doubles, stolen bases, and number of times reach base. Also strikeouts, but we can ignore that for now. He's played the most games and racked up the most hits, runs scored, and total bases in Major League Baseball postseason history. If you're a Yankees fan born in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s, Derek Jeter is probably your favorite player. We can thank Dick Grock and the five teams that passed on the kid from Kalamazoo for that. And I also think it's fitting that Jeter won five championships. One for every team that passed on him. Thanks for listening.
2: for the Yankee, number
0: two, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter hunting for his first major league hit and sends a base hit into left and now put that ball back in the Yankee dugout. Derek Jeter after going 0 for 6 finally has his first major league hit. So that'll be the first of a lot of hits for that brilliant young infielder. Derek Jeter.
3: You got a run on that one. That's gone. Holy cow. I told you get around on that inside pitch, a high fastball, and he creamed it. His first big league home
1: run.
2: And it's in the center field. The Yankees have won it.
0: Minor League player of the year for two years before this season, and he is rapidly becoming the Yankees player of the year. As a rookie, another big hit for Derek Jeter just out of the reach of Garcia Parra.
2: And the dugout erupts for the Yankees. The 2-1. Swung on and hit high in the air. The deep left center. That ball is going to be high. It's going to be far. Gone! Derek Jeter, it's his first grand slam. The first grand slam of Jeter's career. A oh, well up over the left center field. Well, and the 2-0. There it is. For 72 years, Lou Gehrig has been the Yankees' all-time hits leader. Now, it's Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. the 3-2. That one's drilled deep to left field. Going back, Joyce. Looking up. See ya. 3,000 history with an exclamation point. 3,000 hit club. Derek Jeter has done it in grand style. Meek deals. Base hits to right field. Here comes Richardson. Here's the throw from Markekis. Richardson is safe. Derek Jeter ends his final game with a walk-off single. Derek Jeter, where fantasy becomes reality. Did you have any doubt Shot toward third. It's a base hit and an RBI for Jeter, and the Yankees lead 3-0. And they toss that ball into the Yankee dugout in case it's his last one. And that is going to be it for Derek Jeter. His final hit, an RBI single, as Jeter says goodbye to baseball. Jeter! Yeah. Yeah. Barry Teeter.